As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in these episodes. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This is the podcast for the sustainable business movement in the aqua farming and ocean ranching industries. This podcast aims to amplify the voices of entrepreneurs addressing the United Nations Global Goals, aka Sustainable Development Goals, number 14, to conserve and sustainably use the oceans and the seas. Listen in to fellow business aquaculturists in their journey in this new model of food production of making their business sustainable and help the ocean's ecology while also making a profit all at the same time. Get inspired to learn how even small to medium businesses can make an impact to save the seas, leave a legacy, and have a better quality of life. One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. As a business owner of an aquaculture company, what do you do to manage communications, partnerships, and community? That's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. Welcome to Episode 8, Season 7 of the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This episode, we have we are happy to have Michelle Franci, who is a co-founder and co-director of the Young Salmon Farmers of the British Columbia Group. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you. Nice to see you. So am I pronouncing your last name correct? Is it Franci or Friends? It's technically Franze. I'm Italian, so um, there's supposed to be an accent on the E, but when my grandparents immigrated to Canada, they dropped it. So um, we don't, we just go by France now, but either one works. <laughs> I'd like to ask that because most of the time people also mispronounce my name. I am from the Philippines, which is Lourdes, but it's actually the same as the French pronunciation for Lourdes. And it gives us a background of where people come from. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so let's get this show started. I wanted to ask you my first question. How does the Young Salmon Farmers Group prioritize environmental sustainability in salmon farming practices and what specific measures are being taken to minimize the industry's ecological footprint? Yeah, so the Young Salmon Farmers specifically, um, everyone has various different roles in the sector. So we have people who are veterinarians, uh, fish health experts, uh, people who just work on the farm, they're seaside technicians, hatchery workers. Um, so individually, they all have their own processes and what they do to help minimize environmental impact. It just kind of depends on their specific role. Um, and then salmon farmers in general, because I'm also the communications manager for BCSFA. Um, and so the sector in general is doing a lot. There's a lot of innovation and research going on to help minimize that, that impact um, on the environment and any potential impact on wild salmon. Um, it's been found to be minimal, but of course, you never want to be content with with what you're doing. You always want to be innovating and looking at, you know, what's new, what's next, what can we do better? Um, so there's always stuff happening um, with the group as well with the Young Salmon Farmers. We've um, additionally adopted a spot at Saratoga Beach. Um, so we do beach cleanups there and just make sure that the pathways going into the beach is clean and accessible for people. Um, and then we've also volunteered uh, recently with uh, an eelgrass restoration project as well. 
Um, and then with the World Oceans Day that was in June, we also did a more public beach cleanup um, at Dick Murphy Park in Campbell River as well. So um, as a group, we like to do things around the community to help, um, you know, clean up the environment and just make sure that we're doing our part as community members. And then um, individually, they all have their own specific roles where they they work on that stuff as well. It's so impressive what you guys and girls are doing in your association because I remember, I don't know, it, it, my audience can see because this is an audio recording, but I was in an event in May in Victoria and this group was so impressive. I'm so amazed how young people are so aware and awake, if I have to say that word, in terms of what's going on with climate change, which leads me to my second question. Salmon farming has been associated with various environmental challenges such as water pollution and disease transmission to wild salmon populations. What steps is your organization taking to address these issues and promote responsible aquaculture practices? Yeah, so I would say, I mean, the sector's evolved a lot since its inception back in the 80s. Um, so it's interesting when you actually look at what the technology was back then and what it looks like now. Um, even I've been with BCSFA for about four and a half years, and even the innovation that that's happened in that time is really impressive and really quick. Um, so we've seen technology like hydrolysers and well boats where they can um, do their mitigation and managing of sea lice. So um, it's these really cool systems where the well boats essentially is where you bring the fish up onto the well boat. It's kind of like a big pool where the fish can swim around in. Um, it can either be fresh water or have a hydrogen peroxide bath in it. Um, and that gets rid of the sea lice and then they put the fish back in. Um, a hydrolyzer is a newer technology where it's essentially kind of like a fish car wash. So they'll bring the fish up. Um, there's two different pressure differentials that are going through the system. Um, one of them will knock the, the sea lice up and then the second one will knock it off the fish. And then that gets collected separately through a drum filter and then that gets composted on land and the fish go back into the pens. Um, so that's a really cool innovation that um, I've seen in my time here with the hydrolysers. Those were really new when I started. Uh, there's other technology going on where we now have um, underwater cameras so we can actually um, mitigate and look at the feed and make sure that there's no excessive feeding happening, which helps protect the benthic environment under the farms. Um, and now the technology has gotten more advanced when it comes to these cameras and they can actually look at the health of the fish as well. So there's a lot of AI technology happening where um, it, the camera can scan individual fish and it can actually detect if there's some weird behavior going on or if there's a fish health concern. And the, the vets can actually now be more precise when they're treating a potential illness or just a fish health check as well. Um, so there's a lot of cool innovation happening. Um, even just the reduction of our greenhouse gases or carbon emissions, that work is still going on as well. So we're already the lowest carbon footprint uh, when it comes to protein, but there's even more innovation happening. Um, Poseidon Ocean Systems is just one of the many examples where they're doing such great work to help reduce any kind of impact in the marine environment. Um, so they're actually launching even um, recently, it was announced that they're launching a new kind of technology with um, Moby Canada West, which is actually going to do just that. Um, so it's constant. Um, I would say that there would be much more opportunity for more innovation to happen. 
um, just unfortunately with the political environment that we've been faced with for so many years, um, it makes it hard to put investment in into BC, but um, the companies are quite determined to show their commitment to environmental sustainability. So it's been really impressive for me to see firsthand all of this stuff that's going on behind the scenes. Really, really good point in terms of the innovation. I didn't realize that your association started in, like, started in the 1980s. Am, am I correct when I heard that? So salmon farming, yeah. So salmon farming in BC came commercially in the 80s. Um, so it started out with just kind of mom and pop shops. So they were wood pens, essentially. Um, and you would just throw the feed out into the pens. It was, there's no automation at all, I would say. It was it was pretty bare bones. Um, and then the larger companies from Norway came in and essentially kind of bought up those farms um, and just started putting in all of this technology and, and really working on it. And, and as you learn and grow, I mean, you figure out what's working, what's not working, what is environmentally sustainable and what's not. So, um, I mean, the, the sector has been really honest in my view of, you know, the past practices that now would be considered practices that you'd want to keep or, or that would be responsible in the environment. But that just came from learning and trial and error and, and what was allowed through regulation and what wasn't. Um, so for an example, First Nations agreements, I mean, you didn't need to have a First Nation agreement when you started farming back in the 80s, it wasn't a requirement. Um, so, so a lot of the older farms were implemented without any kind of agreement because it wasn't needed. Um, and the whole environment and um, rights and reconciliation and, and being respectful towards nations whose territories are operating in, that concept, I would say, is, is much greater now than it was back then. Um, so it's, it's part of learning. And so we've learned that that's clearly not appropriate and it's clearly not a way you want to run your business. So now... All of the farms have agreements or some type of agreement or partnership going on with a nation that they operate or the, the territories that they operate in. So that's just one of the many examples of, of the industry just recognizing that they weren't operating responsibly and, and making that change. Very good point. I thought it was the association, but the farming itself, it, come to think of it, our shellfish, my husband started in the 1980s as well, and it was a very high learning curve, even just getting a license for our hatchery and our grow out took actually 20 years before we were able, that doesn't even include the production learning that you have to do. So I love a lot of the guests on the show always tells about when people get into the industry, they think that, you know, everybody's making a lot of money, but it takes a lot of hard work and a species to be able to gain traction in this space is minimum 10 years, I must say, maybe even more, which leads me to my next question to you. How did you get into this? <laughs> um, I feel like it's a common theme with a lot of people that work in this sector is I kind of fell into it. It was not a career I thought I would move into at all. Um, so I'm, I'm originally from Ontario, um, and I think a lot of people in BC are from Ontario, but um, I did my undergraduate degree at Dalhousie University. Um, so I did that in marine biology, and then I minored in business as well. Um, and part of my degree I did in my last year, last semester, I did a aquaculture course. 
Um, so I didn't have an interest in aquaculture. It was just a credit that I needed to get. And I, I didn't really have an interest in it. Um, and a lot of the stuff that I learned actually put me off aquaculture because you learn about all those old practices and, and the old fish welfare issues. And I was kind of like, not really into that. And I wanted to focus more on conservation work and I wanted to work with marine mammals. I wanted to travel the world. Um, and I was also in a place that because I was getting ready to graduate and I had no actual hands-on experience, I wanted to also gather that. Uh, so I felt really comfortable going up to my aquaculture professor and just asking him if there's any opportunity in terms of getting work experience um, as a student, just so that when I graduate, I have something under my belt. And uh, he recommended me going to a marine biologist that worked in, it's called the, it's called, sorry, the Aquatron department at Dalhousie. So um, it's essentially where professors or students will do kind of experiments or their thesis projects or anything like that. So there's a lot of um, tanks that are in there. There's a massive tank system. There's a RAS system. Um, so it's quite interesting. And he um, encouraged me to go talk to that marine biologist just to see if there's any opportunity there. So I met with that marine biologist. Um, his name was Jim. He was great, uh, a character for sure. He actually now has a pet pig, which is quite interesting. Um, but he actually, I spoke with him and he was like, well, I normally don't just take volunteers. I normally do um, an experiential learning course with students. So if you want, you could sign up for that and then you actually get a credit uh, which was, you know, great. So I signed up for that kind of last minute, switched around my courses and um, got into the experiential learning course where I learned about RAS systems. I learned about water quality. I learned about fish husbandry, all of that kind of work. Um, and then I graduated and I didn't have any opportunities lined up. So I was going to go home back to Ontario and just kind of figure it out. Plus start applying for jobs. And uh I just let this marine biologist know, I, or Jim, I was just, you know, if, if there's any opportunities that you hear of, please think of me and let me know because I'm looking, I'm going to be looking for jobs. Um, and about a year went by and then I randomly one day got a text from him and he was like, how do you feel about Prince Rupert? Because <laughs> uh, there's a marine biologist who's looking for young biologists to work at a shellfish facility. Um, so the first thing I did was Google Prince Rupert because I'd never heard of it before. Um, and I looked at pictures and I was like, wow, this is a really nice place. And I've always talked about going to BC. Like it was always a dream of mine to move out there. Um, so I got on a zoom call with, um, her name was Samia. So I got an interview with her through zoom. And, um, by the end of the call, she was like, well, how soon can you be here? And I was like, well, when do you need me? And she was like, can you be here by Friday? And it was the beginning of the week. And I was like, sure. So I packed my bags and I essentially flew across the country by the end of the week um, and started at uh, a shellfish facility. So I worked in the hatchery there. They also had a, 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 a building called what we call the greenhouse. So it's also where we grew algae to help feed the scallops. Um, so we, I was more on the hatchery side. So I was doing the spawning and the raising of the the scallops and and taking care of the brood stock and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I started out as an intern biologist there. We focused a little bit more at first on kind of figuring out how we can improve production because they were having issues with their survival and and getting production up on the ground. Um, so we focused a little bit more on that and then just with change in management and all that kind of stuff um, and just focusing a little bit more on the production side. 
Um, so I learned a lot, but it wasn't something that I wanted. I saw myself doing long term in terms of doing production. It wasn't something I was really passionate about, but I s- started to see where aquaculture really fits into the world and and how it can be such a huge solution to all these issues that we're seeing globally when it comes to food crisis and food shortage and and low carbon food production. So I just became really interested in that side of it. Um, And then I also, you know, it was my first time living in a really rural community. Um, So that was a really big eye opener for me because I'm from London, Ontario, which is quite a big city. And then I kind of just show up in this really, really small community that has experienced so much decline when it comes to industry and and especially since their wild fishery uh, industry just completely shut down. Um, You you kind of see the aftermath of that. And um, it was a huge eye opener for me. It was the first time I experienced the fact that I couldn't drink the tap water. Um, There's boiled water advisories that happened while I was there. And that was a very interesting experience for me as well. And the fact that this was happening in our own country, which is supposed to be a first world country, um, it it kind of brought me back down. Um, And I just kind of realized, you know, this industry can really help a lot more than I think what I initially realized or what my initial judgment was of it. Um, so I, it kind of shifted my view completely. Um, and so I really had to get into it to, to figure that out. And, um, when I saw the posting for BCSFA, it was, it was, it was huge for me because I didn't want to stick in the production side, but I wanted to stay in aquaculture and I wanted to do more of like advocating on it, talking about it. I have a science background, so I felt like I could take a lot of the complex topics when it comes to salmon farming because it can be so scientific and help translate in that in a way that people can really understand it and comprehend it and take it in um so that's really what i wanted to do and focus on um but i had to kind of convince my boss at the time that i could do the job because i had no communications experience um so i I think he just saw how passionate I was about it and how willing I was to learn and how eager I was. And he um, very gratefully gave me a shot. So I've been with BCSFA ever since. Um, and I've, I've been loving it. And I can really see myself building a career here and, and just doing a lot. You know, I really just want to leave a mark here. Well, you are doing a fantastic job, I must say. And I think you were summoned by the industry. We need a lot more. <laughs> young people to advocate what we're doing because as you know not a lot of education online is being done to tell people the world what's good that's being done in aquaculture as you know it has such a we were tainted with like the brush and rightfully so as you mentioned there were some old regulations and practices that are not acceptable anymore and people didn't forget that they forgot that we also moved on and that there's progress and you were talking about innovation a while ago there's a lot of things and changes that have happened that are no longer applicable but you know people being people sometimes they got stuck with the notion of what was done wrong and so rightfully so though because as you know there's also some aquaculturists who are doing damage to the environment so it also makes sense so this leads me to my last question as a young person concerned about climate change and its effects on marine ecosystems i'm interested in knowing how the young salmon farmers group collaborates with environmental organizations and engages in research to continually improve the industry's environmental performance and adapt to changing climate conditions 
That's a great question. Um, we've been focusing a little bit more when it comes to that on um, education and outreach, um, not so much hands-on work, but it is something that we're getting more into. So this is the first year that we've actually received funding so that we can do a lot more projects before we were just using our own money and our own time, um, which is really great. It really kind of shows the passion that's in this group. But this is the first year that we've received some some backing and some funds to really help with those initiatives. Uh, so we've been able to do a lot more, which is why we're doing more beach cleanups and, and working with restoration projects and that kind of stuff. But um, we really are looking into what more can we do when it comes to help to protect the environment as a group and, and where can we expand to. So those conversations are happening and I can definitely see more of that work coming forward in the next year for sure, because now we're in a place where we can really establish ourselves. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Michelle. My biggest takeaway from our conversation where you were talking about some of the restoration projects and in terms of innovation and outreach that you guys are doing and how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so um, you can either reach me at uh, michelle at bcsalmonfarmers.ca. So that's my email with BCSFA. And then we also have a young professionals email, which you are more than welcome to reach to as well. So that's the uh, ysfbc at bcsalmonfarmers.ca. And you guys, you got to subscribe to their social media. It's very, very informative, very, very engaging, and it's fun. And you learn a lot just being, seeing all their daily posts. So you guys and gals are doing a great job with the association. Thanks again, Michelle. And I look forward to our next conversation. Please remember to review the show and see you next week. Remember, you help build a home in the Philippines every time we launch an episode on the podcast. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening, and I hope you are inspired from this episode. Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues, and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website, www.sustainableaquaculture.ca slash podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture.